I want to give special thanks to the Croswells for their ministry of mercy in housing the Jones family during this conference. That's my dig at Matt Jones. It is a real blessing to have family serving the Lord cross-culturally on the other side of the world and have them just a few hours away across a border. And uh, that's been a real blessing to us. I'm real excited about all of these ministry opportunities represented by those here in this conference. Uh, Care of missionaries and counseling, uh, MK and missionary kids and seeking to meet their needs, Um, gospel ministry and proclamation in Thailand and in Cambodia. These are all just, we're just so privileged by God to to be a part of these things. What a blessing. I mean, when I think of the Joneses going to Karat, Thailand, I've been to Karat, Thailand, and it's a pretty big city, and just the need of the gospel, just so profound, so utterly profound. Uh, spiritual warfare in Cambodia and Thailand is very intense. And they need your prayers as they begin this ministry there in Karat. And we need your prayers as we turn to Posat, Cambodia as well. One of the most powerful passages of Scripture about Christian living is in Romans 12. Romans 12, 1 and 2. In Romans 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul explains how mankind is separated from God because of sin. It explains how each of us are condemned before God because of our sin and rebellion against Him. Apostle Paul goes on explaining and helping us understand that we cannot find forgiveness. We cannot relieve our sin and guilt before God. We cannot remove these things and be made right with God through anything that we attempt on on our own strength or through our own wisdom or good works. And then he explains what Jesus accomplished in his life and death for us. He expounds on the incredible grace and mercy of God towards all who believe. And after going through all of those truths for the first 11 chapters of Romans, he then says this, At the beginning of Romans chapter 12, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul urges us to take our gratitude to God for his great salvation given to us and respond by dedicating our lives, consecrating our lives to God. And consecrating our lives to God means repenting of our sins, learning how to please and honor God with our lives. It means taking holiness seriously. Some of you have experienced maybe a time in your life when you gave yourself to the Lord. When I was a teen, I heard calls to give your life to the Lord, give your life to God, dedicate your life to God. I heard that theme a lot, and I needed that emphasis when I was a teenager, especially as a teenager. It helped me to understand that I had to determine 
to serve Christ. I need to understand how later, however, that just giving myself to the Lord as a one-time event was not enough. Our dedication to Christ must be continually renewed also. So I would like to talk with you now about how a part of what it means to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God is giving our safety, security, and health to the Lord as well. So consecration, dedicating our life to the Lord, is not just about getting sins out of our life that we know are there. It's about seeking to know how we can please and honor God with our lives. But I want to specifically apply that to giving to God our financial security, our physical safety, and our health. I preached this message to a group of missionaries uh, at GFA's family conference for missionaries who are in the States, and I would like to uh, apply it to you as well here this morning. When an unexpected or debilitating illness strikes, our financial security is jeopardized or we feel vulnerable or threatened, our consecration, our dedication to the Lord gets challenged. When such times occur, all of us are tested and affected by these tests. The struggles might be really intense for you if your life's been pretty easy relatively until that challenge has been made. This kind of testing can be very hard on us emotionally and spiritually. Maybe, many, maybe perhaps most of us tend to idolize emotional and material comfort and security more than we realize. Let me give you some examples of when the Lord has tested us in these categories. When your daughter found, falls down the wooden stairs and splits her head open on the floor and you're about a six-hour drive from adequate health care, that is a test. When your little girl suddenly begins to struggle to breathe and there seems to be no reason why, and you are very far from the hospital, it can be easy to fear. When your elementary age son unwisely sticks his finger in an exposed electrical socket and lies motionless on the floor and turns blue before you, it is most definitely a test. When your wife and mother of four children, small children, is wasting away and fragile and your doctors cannot figure out why, times are difficult indeed. When you watch your support dwindling and you are on the field, that makes you feel very insecure. By the way, all those issues with family and emergencies, they all, they all came out good. <laughs> Everybody survived. Praise the Lord. Okay. Amen. The loss of good health, financial freedom, the, lo- the creation of insecurity in life can be very hard on us. These trying circumstances must be dedicated to the Lord, whether you face them now or you fear that they're going to happen to you in the future. Consecration or dedication to the Lord requires a willingness to be vulnerable, a willingness to take risks. Some people avoid the possibility of becoming missionaries because they don't want to put their well-being at risk. They don't want to submit themselves or their families to greater health risks. 
Some Christians even discourage their children or their grandchildren from ever thinking about becoming pastors or missionaries. After all, they've heard the stories. Some won't consider vocational ministry or missions because they don't want to be financially dependent upon churches or individuals that might stop giving at any time. They don't want to put themselves in situations where they could be more vulnerable to persecution, crime, or even physical abuse. And unless these people come to the point where they trust these things to the Lord and consecrate themselves to His care, they will never be able to serve in the Lord's harvest fields. But praise the Lord that some do. Of course, nowhere on this planet is safer than another. No place on this earth is truly riskier than another in God's providence. Our health, safety, and security are not guaranteed anywhere. It's all in the hands of God. Some of you might remember uh, when I was here before and we spoke about when my daughter was bit by a rattlesnake. Uh, we're missionaries in Cambodia, right? Poisonous snakes everywhere. Never have trouble with Cambodia, in Cambodia with poisonous snakes. We come to America, we're on furlough, and my daughter gets bit by a rattlesnake on a trail um, and has flown by helicopter to a children's hospital for anti-venom. Um, you would think that we would be safer walking a trail in America than we would living where we are in Cambodia. But in God's providence, no one place is truly riskier than another or safer than another. We are in the hand of the Lord. When missionaries depart for the field, we go out in faith, believing that we are dedicated to God, willing to face whatever comes in order to fulfill the Great Commission. In Sunday school, I mentioned when Bethel Baptist here sent us out as missionaries. And at that time at O'Hara Airport, you can go in as a guest and see people off. And a bunch of people from the church, maybe some of you were there that day in 2000, seeing us off in the airport and singing and praying to send us off. And we were so excited to leave. We couldn't wait to leave. And we were full of faith and ready to go. And we had that foundational consecration. We gave ourselves to the Lord. We said, Lord, what do you want us to do? The Lord said, go to Cambodia. So that's, what we're, that's what we left to go do. And it was very important that we had that heart. But that heart was not enough. We, had, we learned very quickly that consecration is also a continual event. While some of us may have experienced a powerful crisis moment, a watershed moment of consecration. Maybe you came forward in a service or prayed at a camp or was reading God's word and God really dealt with you strongly at a certain moment of time. Consecration is not once for all. We have to continue to lay our lives down upon the altar in worship to Christ. That includes our health, our financial security and safety from harm. We must give those things to the Lord. And when we feel at risk and when we have fear and when we're in pain, we have to lay those things down and renew our trust in the Lord again. Physical suffering as a direct result of persecution from giving the gospel can be much easier to accept 
than being told that you suddenly have a life-altering illness that keeps you from your lifestyle that you've had and also maybe even inhibits what you're able to do in service to the Lord. It would be easier to take it if someone was trying to kill you because you were preaching the gospel than to be told you have such a debilitating illness. Some of you are also aware that I've had to deal with some pretty severe autoimmune issues over the years. Praise the Lord, at this point, I'm doing better than I've done in a long time, and I'm very grateful to God for that. But I have had to lay that down and give it to the Lord over and over again. Sometimes we grow weary, and our flesh longs for comfort and rest. We're tempted to give up and just be like normal people. Missionaries get to that point. So do pastors. We don't want to feel that constant pressure of the work anymore. And God's will for us begins to slip in the priority of our minds. We have a strong pull from our hearts to live for ourselves and to seek pleasure, especially when we're hurting. And we need a continual rededication of our life, our life and circumstance to the Lord. So we have to keep offering to God our security, our safety, our health, our own, that of our family members, those of our loved ones. We have to keep giving those things to the Lord as each new test comes. So how do you do this? How do you obtain that? How do you learn how to give yourself to the Lord that way? We must fix our eyes on the one who is our greatest example of consecration. And who is that one? The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greatest example of consecration. One of the main themes in the Gospel of John is the full consecration of Jesus to do his Father's will. He was fully devoted to say and do only what pleased his Father, what brought glory to the Father, what the Father wanted him to experience, what the Father wanted him to accomplish or not accomplish. This was the wholehearted desire of Jesus. The Father's will for God the Son was to experience shame and suffering for the sins of the world in ways of suffering that are far beyond our comprehension. God the Son knew this. He knew all of what he would suffer before he came to the earth. But he completely accepted the Father's will. He did the Father's will, trusting his goodness, trusting his sovereignty, trusting his plan in everything. So we're going to consider how the Apostle John, in the Gospel of John, shows us this. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to have you open up your Bibles and turn to specific verses. I'm going to quote a bunch of scriptures to you to prove my point. You're welcome to, I'm just going to state what chapter the verses are in for time, but you're welcome to try to find them as long as you keep listening. So the first point I would like to make about Christ's consecration. The Son of God became man sent to do the Father's will even though it included known, unimaginable suffering. John chapter 3, and Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 34, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. John 8, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. John 10, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. John 12, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Just as Jesus was sent to do the will of the Father, so are we. Jesus was completely committed to doing the Father's will. And our ambition must be to do the same even if it means suffering or enduring hard things. We must place our trust in God the Father even if he requires us to experience trials that we previously feared would ever take place. Remember what Job said? Job said, For the thing which I feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of, it is come unto me. Some of you are experiencing trials like that right now, things that you feared would ever come upon you, and they have come. And you have to give that to the Lord. Jesus had a razor-sharp focus on doing the Father's will in everything, no matter life's circumstances. John 5, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. I can do nothing on my own. I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. For I have come down from heaven, chapter 6, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, chapter 7. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me, John 8. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. John 12, for I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. John 14, the words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. John 17, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. John 19, when Jesus was on the cross and he was about to pass away, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is 
finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So in all times and circumstances of life and ministry, Jesus kept his focus on doing his Father's will. Jesus did not place conditions on doing his Father's will, which we are often tempted to do. I know what God wants me to do in this situation, but I can't unless God... If my husband was like this, or if my children, or if my parents were this way, then I would do what God tells me. But since Jesus never placed conditions on obedience to the Father's will, and neither should we. Another thing about Jesus being completely given to doing the will of the Father, Jesus kept his gaze upon the glory to come. Jesus frequently spoke of how he was going to return to the Father, to heaven, to his former glory, thinking of the future. John 12, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John 13, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world of the Father. Jesus, knowing that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. John 14, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. John 16, I came from the Father, and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. And John 17, but now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. He says to the Father, I am coming to you. And we have that same anticipation of being with God the Father. And we need to keep our gaze on what is to come as well and not just what is in our face. So, I just bombarded you with a whole bunch of scriptures. To be consecrated to God then To be devoted to God, to be consecrated, set apart to God, is to be Christ-like. To be like Jesus is to be fully devoted to the will of the Father. This includes all of life's circumstances, all things physical and spiritual. It is to remain fixed in our hearts upon our eternal hope and not the present. That's what it means to be consecrated, to be dedicated to the Lord, to be given to the Lord. Jesus calls us to follow him in growing consecration to the Father. So what I just quoted all those scriptures to you, that shows you the context of the Gospel of John and what Jesus wants you to know most about himself. Because he said all those things about himself in the Gospel of John, focusing on how dedicated he was to doing the will of the Father. And then, in that context, he calls upon us to follow him as his disciples. John 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must 
follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So what does this mean for us? To increasingly become like Jesus, to be his follower or disciple, we must increasingly die to self, die to our selfishness, and live for God instead. I'm going to say that again. To increasingly become like Jesus, to grow in consecration to God, to be more dedicated to God, or to be his follower or disciple, what do we must do? We must increasingly die to self and our selfishness and live for God instead. The Christian life is following in the steps of Jesus. This means for us the continual pursuit of a greater consecration to the will of the Father. So let me ask you, are you learning right now to die to yourself? Are you learning to live for God and not yourself? Have you ever come to the point where you get it? That life is not about you getting what you want and being comfortable and convenient and safe. But it's about doing the will of the Father. Have you ever really given yourself to God? Has there ever been a point where you realize life isn't about me? It's about doing the will of the Father. And you pray to God and you lay it down. You lay it down. At times we all resist consecration. We're like the Apostle Peter. In John chapter 21, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? This is after Jesus died and rose again, and he's with his disciples now in his last hours before he ascends back to the Father and the resurrected Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he singles out Peter and he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he, Peter, said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Jesus was saying to Peter that if Peter loved him, he needed to follow God's will for his life. What was God's will for Peter? To shepherd God's sheep. But Jesus was calling Peter to something beyond just shepherding the sheep. Jesus continued. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter was struggling with the loss of liberty and the physical suffering that Jesus foretold. If he did what Jesus wanted him to do, it would be hard. It meant shame. It meant pain. It meant humiliation. It meant giving his future to God. Peter also struggled with fairness, the possibility that others who serve Christ might not be called to the same level of suffering that God was telling him he was going to face. Peter did love Jesus. He loved him deeply. But what Peter needed to understand was that true love for God can be measured by one's dedication to doing the will of God even if it meant suffering. Peter needed greater consecration. He needed willingness to be vulnerable. He needed willingness to put himself at risk in order to follow Jesus. We often need to be reminded of the goal of life. The goal of life is not to avoid pain and sorrow, to avoid suffering. The world continually pounds us with the goals of pleasure and self-preservation. Do whatever pleases you. Do all you can to avoid being uncomfortable. Do what it takes to not get triggered. Don't be around people that make you upset. Anything that stresses you out, avoid it. Stay away. Such a goal of life is folly. It's unrealistic. My father-in-law used to say, fairly frequently if you're around him, life is hard and then you die. That was a maxim that he used frequently. He said this as a strong believer in Jesus Christ, meaning something different than what an unbeliever would say by these same words. My father-in-law understood that life is full of trials and affliction in a fallen world, and he had plenty of them. But followers in Jesus Christ get an extra measure of trials through persecution and spiritual warfare. My father-in-law's hope was not in escaping pain and suffering in this world, but the peace and joy he would receive when he went on to heaven, which is where he is now. He died about a year ago. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The goal of life for a believer in Jesus is to bring praise and honor to God. A life lived through God's grace and strength. A life dedicated to Him. And for all of eternity, we will enjoy the rest and peace for which we long because of what Jesus has done for us. 
So give your life to God now. Serve him right now. Be willing to do hard things for him. Our reward is coming. I would like to give you some applications that I gave to the missionaries at that conference. And many of these will apply to all of us here. Jesus says, follow me in consecration to do the Father's will. Being willing to experience self-denial in whatever ways brings God glory. Dying to self to serve God and bring life to others. This is the way of Jesus. When you just arrive on the mission field and you are overwhelmed with all things new and difficult. And your young family gets devastated with illness. Jesus says, follow me. Or as the Cambodians would say, Jo mok tam kyam. When your living conditions are far less desirable or comfortable or nowhere near as secure as you would prefer, Jesus says, follow me. When the burden of obtaining visas for your family and all of the red tape seems unbearable, Jesus says, follow me. When your occasional three-day migraine hits at the most inopportune time or your child's seizure hits when it's most inconvenient, Jesus says, Follow me. When, in order to effectively serve, you live in a place under constant threat of violence or abuse, Jesus says, follow me. When you grow old and the limitations are too many and you have to consider retiring from the field where you have loved to serve so long, Jesus says, follow me. When the electricity goes down or the water runs out again, Jesus says, follow me. When you long for children and suffer a miscarriage, even more than one, or you are not able to bear children at all, Jesus says, follow me. Worn down by the heat or the dust or the urban sprawl, pollution or physical intensity of the circumstances, Jesus says, follow me. When our children suffer or our spouse is diagnosed with something life-altering, Jesus says, follow me. When learning the language exhausts you, knowing how to, to evangelize and make contacts as a foreigner proves very stressful and just making life work is so complicated, Jesus says, follow me. When facing fears about those afflictions or traumas that might occur, because of the vulnerable situation you are in, Jesus says, follow me. When war seems inevitable and health pandemics create misery and chaos, Jesus says, follow me. When the government's COVID-19 prevention measures are extreme and irrational, Jesus says, follow me. Or as Cambodians say, Cho mok tam kiam cho. So, has the Holy Spirit exposed something in your life that you have held back from Him? Is there a specific fear or trial or circumstance that you know right now that you need to give to the Lord? Is there a closet? Is there a door in your heart that has been closed to God, an area of life, or a fear that you need to give to the Lord. Jesus says, follow me.
The apostle Peter found victory over his fear and insecurity that we read about earlier by God's grace. You can read all about it in the book of Acts as it shows us how he grew in faith and how God used him. The apostle Peter went on to write two books of the Bible, first and second Peter. It might be that someone here has never yet come to the place where you have ever dedicated your life to God. You've never prayed to God. All I have is yours. Every part, every relationship, everything, I lay it down. How can I honor you? How can I serve you in each part of my life? You've never done that. Today is the day for you. Jesus says, follow me. It may be that someone here needs to consecrate their sufferings and trials to the Lord. You need to stop fighting God about your afflictions and trials. Someone else might fear ever being at risk or vulnerable. And this has kept them from making themselves available to serve the Lord in some way. Jesus says, follow me. Give these things to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit whose presence is in all of your people. You know where each one of us are and what those things are that we need to lay on the altar and give to you. If you have spoken very clearly to people here and they know exactly what it is how they ought to apply these passages of Scripture, I pray that your grace would be upon them. You'd help them to to humble themselves before you, to seek grace, and to lay down these things before you. I pray that you would help your people here, Bethel Baptist and Schaumburg, to have a greater consecration, dedication to the Lord. Show us what we need to do to serve you. Help us, Lord, to open all the doors to all the closets and rooms in our hearts and lives. You know what's in there already. Help us to actively actively give these things to you. Teach us what we need to do. If there is someone here this morning that does not yet know Jesus Christ, they have not yet been made right with you. They've not yet received Jesus to save them from their sins, to make them right with you, to become your child. They can't call you Father. I pray that you draw them to yourself, help them to come to you today. We thank you for the example of Jesus. We thank you that he earned the right to die for our sins because of his perfect consecration to you. I pray that you'd help us to be more like him. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.